What's going on? It's Zach. If you've been listening to the talk season two, firstly, thank you so much. Secondly, I'm sure you might be getting tired of these little intros, but I am just going to keep reminding you that the talk season two is in partnership with Stella's Place. We are on our way to raising at the $5,500 that is going towards Stella's Place's virtual counseling sessions. So if you go to our Instagram page, you can find the link in our bio to donate there. As always, if you want to support our brand while supporting Stella's Place at the 55.ca, go to the store. We got the dry fit shirts, hats, and masks while supplies last because thank you to everyone who has been ordering them. It is really appreciated. And of course, proceeds are going to Stella's Place as well. So a ton of ways to support a great organization. We have Olivia Goshwebi coming up on the show. Enjoy. I'm Olivia Goswaby, a women's football athlete at Western University and the commissioner of the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate Football Association, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. We are here today with another installment of The Talk, our conversation interview show surrounding mental health and sports, and of course, football being our bread and butter, how it connects in with the game we love. Joining us today is a guest that we've been privileged to have on for, I believe, her third time now. She's a PhD candidate in neuroscience and Vanny Scholar here at Western, commissioner of the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate Football Association and the quarterback for the Western women's football team. Welcome, Olivia. Go Schwaby. Go Schwaby. Go, go. It's wow. Olivia. Go Schwaby. I've never heard like that before. <laughs> Olivia, awesome. How you doing, Olivia? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. I always love coming on to the show. So uh, chatting with you all gets me excited and uh, thinking about football and even what uh, what happens beyond the sport. Absolutely. Like I said, it's our privilege anytime we get to have you on. But so let's dive into it. I mean, part of me thought having you on the show with you being this kind of like, you know, uh, superwoman kind of like I don't know if you got the like the the drug from what was that movie with Bradley Cooper he becomes the president in like a month or whatever limitless like I don't know how you just do what you do on a daily basis and maybe I could just you could lend some tips to those of us on the more sort of peasant strata of of life but let's let's stick with the football experience because you know your impact in the game of football men's women's side is tremendous and but you know for so many young men growing up in the sport, we might have older siblings, family members who are in the sport. Maybe they get us into it and maybe they play it themselves or just our friends, the people we grew up around. And as a result, you kind of have a bit of that like roadmap or blueprint where you can kind of see, oh, okay, so oh, you play, they played in high school. Oh, so then they went to do some summer. Bo-. You can kind of see how that pathway can lead you to live sort of your sort of fullest experience in the sport as an athlete. For you growing up, though, of course, there are many fewer opportunities for women than there are now. And, you know, we can get into where the sport needs to get to still on the women's side. But no doubt for yourself growing up, the opportunities that you've been able to pioneer to where they are today weren't weren't around. So I guess just that's my long way of saying for you growing up, being a football fan, being an athlete, what was it like trying to sort of navigate the waters of wanting to play the sport when there may not have really been a, a a good forum to be able to play it in and, and just dealing with that. Yeah, I don't know. It was a weird like black box. Like I knew what I was getting my myself into as an athlete at that age for more of the athletic skill than the sport itself because I had no clue where I could go in that sport. It was just like, okay, let me go and perform. Um, but at the same time, 
kind of knowing where the game is on the men's side gave at least me something to model my skills by, but not necessarily know how I actually fit in that picture. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically let's say I were to watch a football game because I loved watching the NFL growing up. I think I actually started watching the CFL, but switched over to the NFL um, not too shortly after. And I was able to watch athletes and players out there and say, oh, I could probably perform that skill. And that's kind of my only model is like separating the look, the person to just the actual sport itself and the elements of the sport and say, okay, I can do that anytime. So like I always mentioned, I was very fortunate growing up in the Peel region and we had flag football. I think the high schools hosted flag football for our middle schools, at least in the area I grew up in Mississauga. So I could play apply those skills or learn more about the game in that space. But in reality, I had no clue where I was going to apply this knowledge because I didn't think there was any opportunity after that. Right. Um, And I think where that led to was, oh, mentioning I played the sport, knowing I played it, but, but others not really understanding that that was even a space for myself to play any sport uh, in football uh, or knowing where I'm going to go with it. So I guess where I'm trying to go get to is that, uh, as a woman in the game and not being able to model anything besides the skill sets itself, it was just, it was just kind of like there. It was just a sport. It wasn't re- It was like, I guess for some, it might be that gym class game of football. I was always out there with the guys, but that that's what it felt like for most of it. Even though I got to be surrounded by much many more women, I think cultures are slightly different. Uh, it's just, I didn't know where I was going to go with it. So you start investing your time in other sports, really. That's what it comes down to. So I played volleyball. That was my go-to sport. And I focused on that and um, took the skills that I learned in football, applied it there. But yeah. Well, you raise a really interesting point in that in, in saying that it was kind of the, you weren't necessarily seeing yourself in, in obviously the the actual players per se, but in just what they were doing. And football, one, one of the things I think so cool about football is like you can take you go into a locker room and you see people of such different body shapes and sizes and skills that, you know, come come with it. You know, you compare the kicker to the, you know, starting center to the all those things. So I'm just curious, you grew up watching the game. What were the skills that were like, were you just, you know, out there watching like, you know, uh, Ben Roethlisberger being like, yeah, the, the quarterback thing, that seems like my or what was it that you were kind of attracted to in that sense that you were like, I can you know, make that connection with? Definitely not Big Ben would ever be a model, especially for women in sport. But if we were to go back to any other athletes, I think at the time when I was growing up, obviously Tom Brady was like, as someone who wasn't as knowledgeable to the level of football I am now, obviously I have other models and uh, as quarterbacks, but Tom Brady was like the goat when as a quarterback. I still think that's true because like you can go out there and watch him. He knows what to expect from a defense. He could probably coach it better than him getting coached in, in that position himself. Um, And I just knew that I wanted to be able to throw a ball with that spiral. I wanted to be able to get it to that distance. Um, Sometimes I love to play the receiver position because I feel my knowledge as a quarterback to get the ball to a receiver and knowing what a good receiver looks like. I could also have those good skills. And honestly, I think quarterbacks are underrated with their hands. They receive a snap frequently enough. They have decent hands in my opinion. But um, when I switched into the receiver role, my big thing was um, the jukes and breaking ankles. Like being able to see that and say, oh, I can do that. Those are the skill sets I look for. And I'm like, I would love to do that to a friend out on the field, uh, someone I get really competitive with out on the field. And I think that what was what made the game a bit more reassuring for myself. Um, plus, I mean, 
for women, body image is always an issue and it always comes into my mind, especially as someone who lifts fairly frequently. But seeing um, some of the best athletes in the world in football, because you're taking contact, con- you're taking contact and you have refined motor skills um, to be able to have that same physique with the same performance output would be amazing. Like, I don't want to be bulked and jacked, but I want to be toned and really strong in my role. So being able to lift and catch and juke and have these agility skills and speed would be, was also a bonus to it. I think it also contributed to why I wanted to be, uh, wanted to be physically fit beyond that. But then I also worry about, especially as an athlete is looking too bulky, looking too jacked, (laughs) but all of these things come to mind when I watch the game of football. And as I moved through through my career and started thinking about other sports as well. And so going back to, as you mentioned, growing up in Peel region and, and getting the opportunity to play flag football and I'm sort of two part question. One, were there any schools in the area, whether your school or any others that had women on the, on the varsity team? Cause I, like, I remember growing up in, in Toronto, there were a few teams that had, uh, you know, they would have women to play on, on the football team. And then, well, let's start with that. I'm curious just whether or not that was an option too for you. Honestly, uh, some of the Peel Region schools are uh, on a limited budget, and I grew up in the public side, so not on the Catholic side. So almost half half the schools in the Peel Region do not have a football team. Like, it was actually rugby, so what you often see is most of the women playing rugby, and there's obviously women's rugby, but there was no need to go to the men's side. Um, and actually, we were the only flag, oper- only football opportunity in the school because there was no men's program. So I think that's kind of funny that they actually will invest on the flag football side for women at a lot of these Peel public schools, uh, but not have a men's program. Well, and you know, it's, 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 it's great. You bring up, or you sort of mentioned rugby in your answer there, because like, I, I remember, you know, played football and, and rugby in high school and sort of tying in with you talking about the idea of, well, not wanting to get too bulky when it comes to the weight room, which is commonly something that a lot of women can have that, you know, you mentioned the sort of uh, Im- body image um, thing going on. And I remember in, in high school, uh, you'd get a lot of times, you know, the girls rugby team, you would have remarks about, you know, just th- things regarding, oh, playing more um, a sport that maybe people associate more with with men than women or what have you. And I can only imagine that's even more associated when it comes to talking about football. Was there ever uh, was it ever a weird thing for you growing up or maybe not for you, but people ever give you like weird responses when it's like, yeah, no, I, I'm a football player. Like, was that a, like a weird kind of square to circle circle to square whatever oh my gosh yeah even up till this day it's like oh i play football have to explain it's american football oh my gosh it's american football that's what you play and i'm like yeah we play flag we play contact like there's even tackle opportunities now for women in the game um so that's always an automatic response and then when i'm able to like watch a football game and describe concepts better than anyone else (laughs) there is always entertaining um i think when it comes to the body image component uh for me at least at the high school level i was i was an overachiever so (laughs) i tended to be on like as many sport teams as i could be sometimes i was limited limited to a season sometimes they let me play multiple sports in a season so i was always running around and always lifting and i was also one of those girls who were in the um fitness classes with the guys which only usually has two or one girls in them and then most of the girls drop 
phys ed, which I wish that wasn't the case after grade nine, um, but I stuck with it. So I was that person who was always jacked and I didn't really notice it because I surrounded myself by other jacked people or fit people. So they didn't really comment. So I did get one comment and this was actually in my early years of university. I still kind of get these comments. So I'm not out of shape anymore. But at that time, someone was like, I want to have arms like you. And that was a guy. And I'm like, yes, of course you want arms like me. Um, so there's, so when you're surrounded by the environment where everyone's achieving or trying to go for this goal of fitness, it's not on your mind as much, but then you start comparing yourself to um, certain levels of physique and fitness. Uh, and that that's where it gets tricky, especially with body dysmorphia. So you'll never find that you're at the right stage of fit. I think that's more prominent in women athletes uh, specifically. And then you start comparing yourself to others. You start overtraining. Um, you go into bad eating habits, such as eating disorders. Um, I've tackled eating disorders myself. I don't, I've never been uh, diagnosed with one, but I've been aware of uh, poor eating habits that I took on to get a calorie deficit and then also overtrain. So I was finding I was tired, not being able to um, have the same performance outputs, struggling with sleep, um, malnourished to a certain extent. And then that's when I was like, okay, um, I know there's a certain body type that I want to achieve, but is it actually sustainable? And is it something that'll help with my actual performance on the field? And so that's when I started learning from other nutritionists about um, certain things to keep in mind, ensuring you have the right carbohydrates before entering any physical activity and sport. And then of course, hydrating more after and then getting the right calories, calorie, caloric intake. So yeah, that's kind of the whole cycle of moving through body image and understanding where my, uh, physique can actually contribute to the sport. As someone who was both undersized playing offensive line and then trying to shed some of that weight when I hung up the cleats, I can very much resonate with a lot of those things you're saying, uh, being on both sides of the spectrum of, of needing to put on weight and, and wanting to take it off. Um, you know, talking about sort of the culture of football within the locker room, you know, there's it's widely discussed on the men's side that especially when we have these conversations with athletes, with male athletes, that is in the game of football, that these are conversations that aren't and conversations about mental health and just sort of overall emotional well-being that, you know, they're not conversations that are often had. And if they are, they're perhaps more transient, just like, hey, man, you good? Yeah, I'm good. you know, just it's very surface level at best. And I think there's a bit of sort of the male psyche mixed in with that as well. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, how much maybe this culture of football plays into it. So I guess passing it over to you when it's sort of, you know, when the team in the locker room or before game, like, do you find like there are any of those issues that sometimes, like I said, we see on the men's side of thing in football with just that lack of being able to be vulnerable, being able to just really check in on your teammates, on your friends, things like that. Hmm. This is interesting. I, as someone who's been a leader and running a program, I see a lot, a lot of what happens behind the scenes. So I think it's definitely a different culture on the women's side. Um, I mean, performance out there and taking hits to a certain extent, catching balls, having to get through or past receivers, we tough it out. That's a given. If we uh, bonk knees or land weirdly, we'll try to tough it out, not talk about it. And then we're dealing with an injury and trying to get out of that psyche for days after. Um, and worrying one, is that going to take me off the field so I can't perform or play? That becomes an issue with 
with the sport, and I think that carries in any sport. I feel like a lot of men's athletes tend to get a concussion, but won't mention it or say anything and they'll keep playing through, but <laughs> they should, they shouldn't, they should start considering obviously your brain health, but with, with women, it's very similar in the football landscape is trying to tough out injuries and playing and performing. But outside of that, one thing that's funny, cause I, you talk about the locker room talk because we're so behind with women's football, we don't even have a locker room. <laughs> So I just wanted to make that comment because I thought it was funny. But when we do change in the hallways, um, especially at the university level, well, um, uh, we have our own combos, but it's mostly about life. And I think because we can have those more interpersonal relationships and kind of friendships, we actually find that with uh, football or even in any women's sport, most of these women come together because of the social aspect of things to be able to carry these relationships uh, beyond just the sport. So we've even had athletes who uh, end up living together for a number of years and going to each other's weddings, et cetera, or, or anything along those lines. And I think the camaraderie is a bit um, more personal so people aren't afraid to share any um, experiences and I think um, it can be visible uh, for a lot of us so if we are uh, at the fields sometimes we might seem more reserved a bit more quiet we aren't interacting the same way and I think that shows a bit more among us including myself like if I'm if my head's totally somewhere else I won't be as chatty or as engaged at practice, which often annoys some of the coaches, but stuff like that. Um, and when it comes to locker room talk, it's more so, uh, or hallway talk, it's more so, okay, checking in. If someone seems off, we often ask, you know, what's up? <laughs> You're quiet today. Are you mad at me? It's like sometimes taken personal. Um, when it comes to being out on the field, anytime we're, for example, down or losing, it's about coming together, taking a deep breath, acknowledging what's wrong and then resetting like a lot of that um takes place i think on on our end of things uh well so with that i kind of want to touch on a little bit about um what you do sort of and your the academic side of things um you know as you kind of mentioned in the setup doing your phd neuroscience and you know talking about taking hits and concussions and, and we don't necessarily need to go into all the details as far as you know the sort of the actual chemistry of, of all that but in sort of the work you do with in your PhD I'm just curious making the connection with you know just sort of poking and prodding around the human brain and trying to figure out the different sort of motivations and uh, why people kind of get up and get down and things like that is, is that stuff that you've you've dealt with in your academic career I mean I study particularly exercise and its impact on the brain. So I obviously see the benefits of sport regardless. Um, I think other parts that pop up in the work that I do is just naturally thinking about social interactions as part of um, potentially impacting the results I might have. So if I am studying humans, I also do rodent work, hence why I use the word humans, it might sound weird to others. Um, we have to consider the fact that they're interacting with people on a daily basis and social interaction is also known to help improve brain function. So when we start thinking about sport and we're getting our fitness in and then we start thinking about uh, the social aspects of sport there are two benefits there already for brain 
function and memory uh, and even boosts mood and improves mood. But where things get complicated, uh, and I don't know necessarily that from my neuroscience background, but there's definitely literature out there, I'm sure, is how the societal factors of being an athlete impacts all of that. So uh, that could obviously change certain chemistries or function, uh, especially if you're pushing yourself uh, beyond the average. That's what exercise does. That's what being an athlete does. And then on top of that, having to do to perform cognitively, especially for athlete as student athletes in school. So all of those things, I'm sure, confound and compile to impact mood in, in general. Uh, 50% of it is probably really beneficial. The other 50% is like stress <laughs> and then stress is also what negatively impacts the brain. So when you are constantly stressed, that's when you'll start seeing more cell death in the brain, more confusion, poor judgment and thinking. So those are the neuroscience components I can think to. When we think of injury, that's important to consider because any form of trauma in the brain will have uh, multiple effects, right? So it'll be memory related. And when your memory is disrupted or affected, it can, it can be frustrating. And then that'll obviously impact your mood. Um, if you do have other head traumas in certain regions of the brain, that'll impact mood if it's in the, in that, a certain location. Um, and obviously when you're taken away from the sport due to injury, that's going to impact overall mood and, and, uh, mental health and that and then in the recovery phase it's one getting back and feeling healthy but two also having the right psyche to get back to the sport and I think the first one is sometimes easier and the psyche part is the hardest part like trying to get past the injury and say okay I'm safe enough to be out here I'm ready to be out here okay now oh my gosh I've been out of the sport for a period of time am I okay like am I at the fitness levels of where I was okay, I'm okay. Now it's the next parts of that is performing to the level where I was. So I think all of those contribute to each other. Totally. And at the time of recording here being sort of early mid-January, I think there's no better example in, in recent times than seeing Clay Thompson step back on the basketball court. And I think the collective uh, held breath of everyone he, he completed his first dunk and land. It's like, okay, he did it. He didn't, his legs didn't blow up under him. Um, you know, and as you kind of said that, like, okay, we should be good to go. Now we go. And okay. It's, it's, I guess sort of last sort of tying some of those thoughts together, you know, a lot of the schools provide resources, some perhaps better than others. And you mentioned just the general benefits of, of exercise for mood, for, for memory, all, all those things as well. But it, just from your experiences as an athlete, student athlete, and, and just your time doing the millions of incredible things that you do, what are just some good resources, tools that you look to or that you've had other people suggest that, you know, during a, say, a depressive time or just being in a funk, whatever it might be. Um, obviously, you talk about exercise, um, but just tools and resources that uh, are effective for people. Oh, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know the best tools myself. And I don't know if that speaks to the organizations putting stuff together um, or my own knowledge. So I think they kind of go hand in hand. But when it comes to resources, I think. One, I'll plug our league. We have a workshop on how to uh, separate failure and performance from um, uh, success as well as your own mental health. So there's kind of this 
um, how to be resilient in sport workshop, essentially. Uh, that's free online. You can watch it. You can engage how you wish. Um, some of the things that I kind of fall back to is more of the, the diet stuff. So how can I eat well to feel a bit better without kind of going into bad habits um, and also getting the energy I need to just bounce out of things. And I think that's usually my go-to is finding any kind of nutritionist. And we also have a really good nutrition workshop on how to uh, eat to train uh, on our website as well. Those are my go-tos, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm still working on this myself and figuring out how to manage my own mental health beyond uh, just playing the sport because a lot of the women working in the football world are also the ones having to organize and consider all of these things. So it's like another layer, layer of mental health that they have to consider and figure out, which is includes burnout. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be pretty candid about it. I don't even know the best resources myself. Uh, I mean, I know student related resources, but as someone who's a person of color, I do not want to go talking to someone who does not look like me at all and tends to be uh, uh, not as knowledgeable in the experiences that I go through, which is a whole other sphere. And the other thing is the best, honestly, uh, in terms of work and mental health comes from the student athletes. Like they're the ones who put more programming together than any institution themselves. Uh, and you see that with the different athletic councils and associations within each institution uh, in varsity athletics. And I think that's, that's the, that's the go-to. Like we see Bella's talk, but again, that's more of an online campaign. Where do we actually see the impact and the outcome um so yeah <laughs> well you know just first and foremost no doubt just you being the person you are as a role model for other people wanting to follow in your footsteps now as a trailblazer in the sport of football no doubt you are a beacon for their own mental health as they grow and evolve in the game however they go about and just as as well as far as resources go one of the reasons one of the many reasons that it's so great we get to work with and support Stella's place is that they specifically do have resources to support members of the BIPOC community. So, I mean, we'll, we'll plug Stella's place as often as we can. So I might as well throw their name again right here and now. Um, but Olivia, you know, thank you so much for joining us and uh, letting us in on sort of a bit of your story and sort of how you deal with your day to day. So thank you so much, Olivia. Yeah, thank you for having me.